0: Today on The Matt Wells Show, the latest groomer innovation is sexually suggestive drag shows at high schools. There is uh, more than one example of this kind of thing from just this month. We'll talk about it today. Also, more questions about the law enforcement response to the shooting in Texas. Police officials have made some very damning statements in an effort to vindicate themselves. We'll go through those also today. And the Secretary of Education endorses gender-transitioning children in school without parental consent. Endorses it in a roundabout way, but still endorses it. In our daily cancellation, a school district bans the word chief because it appropriates from Native Americans. There's just one problem there, actually several. We'll talk about that today and much more on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, it's finally happened. The Fed is realizing the dire straits our economy is in, thanks to our loose monetary policy. Apparently, you can't just spend trillions every year with no repercussions. Who would have thought now to play catch up, the Fed has been raising rates and plans to seven uh, plans to do that seven times this year. You're already starting to see those ripple effects in the housing market as people's buying power diminishes. Do you consider what could happen in the stock market if our economy really stalls out? Don't wait till it happens. Take some of your profits from the stock market now and solidify them with gold from Birch Gold. Throughout history, gold has maintained value better than any other investment in the entire world. So... All you got to do is text Walsh to 989898 for a free zero-obligation info kit on holding gold in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Join the thousands of happy Birch Gold customers with countless five-star reviews and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. I trust the professionals at Birch Gold, and so should you. Text Walsh to 989898 and secure the gains you've made while you can. Again, for the last time, text Walsh to 989898 right now. Well, it happened again this week, a drag show at a high school hosted by that school's so-called Gay Straight Alliance. Uh, this time it was Ann Kenny High School in Iowa. Cross-dressing males were brought up on stage in the school's auditorium to gyrate around on stage in their woman-face makeup and absurd outfits. According to the Daily Wire report, one of the performers also delivered a speech about his gender transition. He told the kids in attendance, quote, When I felt like I couldn't express myself in school or I felt like I had to look like this at school, I could be whoever I wanted to be. And I started to think, what is gender? And I realized that no matter what pronouns you use, you are who you are. I know on the inside that I am who I am. Now, it doesn't mean anything, of course, but it's not supposed to mean anything. There is a message here, but it's not one that is communicated through intelligible, coherent sentences most of the time. Libs of TikTok, which first published the videos of this event, says that students, um, the the minors at the school, were also brought up on stage to dance. So for the school's part, they say that this was not an official school event and that it was uh, not conducted in accordance with their policies. It is under investigation, they say. They want to make sure that the drag show was in accordance with their policies. Uh, It looks like it might not have been. But it's, of course, impossible to believe that the auditorium was used for a drag show and the administrators didn't know about it. Or that they did know about it, but they didn't know what a drag show entails. That's, that seems to be kind of what they're claiming, that, uh, that they saw the videos and they're like, oh, that's a drag show? Well, that's clearly, we, we don't want that. But they're feigning ignorance, of course, which is the same thing that happened a week or two earlier when a different high school, this one in Pennsylvania, notice the states involved here, Iowa, Pennsylvania, okay, not, not uh, Washington, Vermont, California, Although these things are certainly happening in those states as well. But uh, they held their own GSA-sponsored drag show. Grown men in makeup, uh, wigs, thongs, performed a burlesque routine for children at Hempfield High School. This is certainly not something that any mentally stable person wants to see, particularly right around lunchtime. But I'm going to play some of the footage for you anyway, because uh, you need to understand just how over-the-top, creepily sexual this was. Uh, Here it is. Okay, we enough of that. So you get the, you get the gist. Uh, nothing to see there, just a grown man in a thong on all fours, shaking his ass for a group of schoolchildren. The administrators in this case say that they were appalled by what took place, but coincidentally, they were only appalled when parents found out about it and complained. A teacher named Kelly Tyson, who's an advisor for the GSA club, expressed her delight and joy in watching this pedophilic display, but she also confessed to something else inadvertently, which is quite damning for the school administration. She wrote in a social media post, quote, I don't know how to explain the sheer joy I feel in my bones when these queens come take time out of their busy schedules to perform for us, year three, and to be with my students. As GSA co-advisor and a queer teacher, it makes me emotional to think of this space we've created I would have loved nothing more than have a space like they have, an opportunity to attend their own drag show. Year three, she says. So they've been doing this for uh, three years, and the administration just noticed how appalling it is. That's what we're supposed to believe. And it's obviously total nonsense. So what is actually going on here? And what's with the leftist obsession with drag in particular? They've got Drag Queen Story Hour, drag shows at high schools, drag shows at all their gay pride events. Drag shows on TV, drag reality shows. Why? Along with all the other problems with this stuff, I mean, the many, many problems, especially when kids are involved, it's not even like these dudes are talented dancers or performers. They're just weird-looking guys in ugly outfits dancing badly on stage. What's the point? I mean, even if it was only adults in the audience, why would anyone want to see that? Why has drag in particular become such a central component of the left's culture war strategy. I think there are a few reasons for that. It's worth thinking about. One, drag contributes to the sort of costumification, if I can coin my own word, of womanhood. The drag performer makes womanhood into this cartoonish, gaudy, ridiculous thing. He turns it into a stage performance, a costume. It's no surprise that the drag queen uh, at the one school event gave a speech about gender identity and talked about how drag helped him get in touch with this inner female identity because this is how the left sees womanhood. They see it as a cheap, degraded, hypersexualized thing which is interchangeable and superficial and can be taken off just as easily as it's put on. That's one reason why they love drag because of of what it does to womanhood, how it portrays womanhood, how it cheapens it. That's what they like about it. Uh, Also, drag is an assault not only on femininity, but also on beauty. And anything that assaults femininity also assaults beauty, Uh, It is a protest against traditional notions of beauty, womanhood, and so on. Everything the left does is targeted to tear down whatever they think is traditional, as traditional to them is synonymous with archaic or oppressive. And when these drag performances are staged for children, it's also meant to tear down and sever the parent-child relationship. The author Carl Truman, who appears, by the way, in my film, What is a Woman?, premiering June 1st, uh, which is next Wednesday. Make sure you're there get your membership. Uh, He made this point in an interview with the Daily Wire published today, which is very interesting and worth going to read the whole thing. But he says, quoting from him, he says, children are the perfect targets for groups whose purpose is the subversion of of the parent-child bond and the consequent strengthening of the power of a progressive establishment. Destroy the bond between parents and children, and you have destroyed the most powerful and influential pre-political bond of influence and loyalty that stands in the way of various lobby groups trying to drive the direction of our culture. Couldn't have said it better myself. But there's one other factor to consider here, and that is cowardice. Okay, there's, a, there's a whole lot of cowardice that leads to things like this happening in our schools. The administrators are, of course, lying when they claim ignorance. They know that this sort of thing is going on. Every time a teacher is exposed for grooming, indoctrinating children, the administrators know about it. They knew about it before that. It's never subtle. I mean, you see all these TikTok videos that they're posting. I mean, first of all, they're posting TikTok videos. They're not hiding it. And then you see they've got all these teachers. They always have rainbow flags draped all over their classrooms. You know, and they've got the uh, purple hair and rainbow earrings. And it's like they've got a walking advertisement saying, this is the only thing I care about. This is all I talk to my kids about. Not hiding their intentions. So do the people in charge go along with this? Because they are themselves LGBT radicals intent on grooming children? In some cases, yes, certainly. But especially if we're talking about a situation in California or Vermont or uh, Washington State or something like that, then, then it's, it's very likely that everybody involved, if we're talking about a school, is an, is an LGBT radical. But at a school in Iowa, are the administrators a bunch of LGBT extremists? Maybe, but probably not. They simply lack the courage to tell the LGBT extremists to cool it, knock it off, keep the crap out of the classroom. They know better, some of them. They don't have the backbone to stand up to the LGBT bullies, so they let them do whatever they want. And I do mean whatever they want until the backlash from outside forces their hand. So this is the the formula. LGBT extremism. And the cowardice that enables it. You add that together and you get cross-dressing adult men twerking on stage for children. And you get a whole lot more beside that. And none of it, of course, is good. We'll get now to our five headlines. Well, here's a fact you might not know. Did you know that if you're currently on a phone plan with one of the major carriers, you are helping these left-leaning companies donate to pro-abortion causes and candidates? Common question I get from my listeners all the time is what can I do to help turn the tides in the culture war? Well, here's a great first step, defund the abortionists. Don't let them uh, take your money and use it to further policies you don't believe in. Switch to Charity Mobile today and they will spend 5% of your monthly plan price to, uh, on, on any pro-life charity of your choice. Charity Mobile offers... As well, the latest 5G phones with no device or service contracts. Plus, they got great nationwide coverage. If this sounds like a hassle to make the switch, I assure you it is not. Charity Mobile makes switching from your current carrier painless. Their live customer service is exceptional, and they're gonna be ready to guide you through the process very easily. You can keep your number, and uh, and in most cases, you can keep your phone. But if you want a new phone, you can take advantage of my special offer and get a free cell phone with free activation. All you have to do is call 1 877 474 3662 or chat with them online. At CharityMobile.com and mention offer code Walsh to redeem the free cell phone offer. That's CharityMobile.com. Mention offer code Walsh and join the fight for life with Charity Mobile today. So we're going to stay on this theme of cowardice as we go down to Texas, um, where more details are emerging about the circumstances around the shooting at Robb Elementary School And I say details are emerging, but this is, uh, that makes it sound almost like a passive natural process of things sort of bubbling to the surface. Oh, look, there's another detail. That's not what's happening here. It's becoming more and more apparent that what we were told in the first 24 hours was wrong. And not mistakenly wrong, but a lie, lies, many lies. We were told, we were lied to. Uh, I mean, remember, we were told early on, not, not just like rumors on social media, but we were told from... Uh, press conferences from politicians and and officials that, you know, the shooter was engaged as soon as he arrived at the school. People, police were on hand right away, engaging the shooter, you know, uh, saving lives. That's what Governor Abbott said. That they, it's like they were they were there. They saved lives. This is what we were told, right? Um, doesn't appear to be the case, and even now they're being very selective in what they tell us. But what they have admitted so far or really just yesterday is damning for the police. Now, you start with all of the qualifiers and disclaimers that we still there's still a lot we don't know. But the reason we don't know a lot of these things is because we're not being told them. Right? And there are there are details that they're being at least vague about that, many of which like they must know. I know there are certain things that it takes time to figure out, but then there are other details that, of course, you're going to know. This wouldn't take long to figure that out, but they're being vague a lot of those about about a lot of those things too. So that puts us in the position of there's still a lot we don't know. So you have those disclaimers, um, but even so, based on what we've been told, video that has now come out. And everything added together, um, it seems like it's a, a very damning situation for the police who responded. There was a press conference with a Texas police official yesterday, which gave us the most complete picture so far. And so here's what we learned, and, and, um, and this is what the police official told us. He told us that the shooter crashed his car near the school, got out with his rifle in hand. And started firing at random people and buildings. And he didn't, he didn't hit anybody, but he was just like walking around firing his, his rifle. He started walking towards the school. Okay. 12 minutes later, after walking around casually shooting, right? He, he goes into the school. 12 minutes later. So the, the clock's already ticking. We got 12 minutes. By the time
1: he gets to the school,
0: And then this,
1: listen. He walked in unobstructed initially. So from the grandmother's house to the barbage to the school, into the school, he was not confronted by anybody to clear the record on that. Four minutes later, law enforcement are coming in to solve this problem.
0: He walks in and it appears that the door is just unlocked. Um, there's no unobstructed. Now there were there were we were told again early on the the claim was or the 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 version of events we were getting in the first few hours was that there was a uh, there was a school resource officer there and that he was engaged somehow with the resource officer and then got pen It was always unclear like how did that happen? How did he get back? Pat- but that's that's not the case. He just walked right into the to the school. And this is even though there was an active shooter in. The area. Okay? And four minutes later, the cops come in. That, by the way, is 14 minutes after the first 911 call was made. Because the first 911 call was made um, two minutes after the guy got out of his car. He got out of his car, I believe, at 11.28 a.m. 11.30 a.m., somebody makes a 911 call and says there's a guy walking around with a rifle shooting. So the school should have been on lockdown. There's an active shooter nearby... Lock all the doors, lockdown situation. But it seems like that they didn't even lock the front door of the school or whatever door this guy walked into. So it's actually 14 minutes after the first 911 call that the cops finally show up. But the shooter is not killed for another hour. He was in that classroom executing little kids for an hour while the cops were outside. An hour. They said that he was barricaded in the classroom. We were told by this police official he was barricaded in the classroom. They said that they they you know he they went in four minutes later, and then they received fire and they retreated. And he didn't use the word retreat, but that's what they did. They didn't go in the room because they were getting shot at. Uh, and he was barricaded in the classroom. Now, why didn't the cops go in? Now, I think we I think we all kind of know it's because they were afraid. But why what what are you what's what's their version of events here? Why didn't they go in? Why did why didn't they breach the door? Uh, the official in the press conference was asked this question. Here's his answer, or rather his non-answer. Listen.
1: You guys have said that he was barricaded. Can you explain to us how he was barricaded and why you guys cannot breach that door? So I have taken all your questions in consideration. We will be doing updates. We will be doing updates to answer those questions. Be able to answer that question now, sir. What is your name? Shimon Prokopets from Shimon, CNN. I hear you. Because we've been given a lot of bad information, so why don't you clear all of this up now and explain to us how it is that your officers who were in there for an hour, yes? rescuing people but yet no one was able to get inside that room shimon we will we will circle back with you we want to answer all your questions we want to give you the why that that's that's our job so give us time i'm taking all your questions i'm taking them back to talk to the team can you tell and, uh, us how
2: the door was barricaded look, thank
1: you for being here have a we'll talk soon
0: um so he's not going to answer that question of why they didn't why they didn't breach the door i mean what how how could this guy have barricaded the door in a way where they couldn't have easily gotten in. So it's just, I don't buy any excuse that they couldn't get in the door. Okay, did he, I mean, did the shooter, did he walk in? Did he have like planks of wood and a hammer and nails and he nailed it? No. Like he might've locked the door if the door even had a lock on it. That's about it. Pretty sure cops know how to get in and get, get through locked doors. Wouldn't be able to do their job if they didn't. Okay, if this was a, a drug bust, And they thought there was $50,000 in drug money in uh, in that room. They'd find a way to get in, wouldn't they? So why didn't they get in? He's in there with young children shooting. Now, we're also told, I watched the entire press conference, and uh, he says that that they that they uh, they you know they they retreated again. He doesn't he doesn't use the word retreat, whatever word he uses, but that's what they did. They retreated, and uh, then they start calling backup. He says they're trying to get backup in there, and they also are getting negotiators, and they, they to to talk to the guy. But then he also says that as far as he knows, they never actually made contact, because this was not a hostage situation. He was killing the kids. And it's also not true, and this is this is one excuse I've seen on social media, quite a horrific, morbid excuse, but, well, uh, the, most of the shooting happened in the first four minutes. By the time they got there, right, this is the excuse that I've heard from some people. By the time the cops got there, um, the kids, he'd already killed everybody in the room. But first of all, there's no way the cops would know that. Like, all they would know by the time they get there is that he's in that room and he's been shooting people. And that's all they should need to know. You go in. I don't care if it's just you alone. You go in. But also, it's it's not. There were survivors from that room. There were also children who uh, were taken out of the room alive and then died in the hospital. What if they had been rescued an hour earlier? May they have survived? Well, we'll never know, will we? Because those cops stood around for an hour while that man was executing children. Now, a different Texas police official appeared on CNN last night and gave something of an answer as to why they didn't go in. Uh, the clip is, I think this clip is two minutes long, but it's—it's. It's, I think you need to hear the whole thing, so let's play it.
1: So what we do know uh wolf is that there was multiple officers that arrived on scene there was three officers that arrived that made entry um at one of the entrances where the gunman actually made entrance to we had other another four officers that made uh entry at the other entrance of the school so there was officers inside that school as they were taking gunfire they were also calling in for reinforcement uh backup tactical teams uh snipers any additional personnel that could arrive to assist to not only with to with the situation but also to assist in evacuating uh, students and teachers at that time that's when a U.S. Border Patrol uh, tactical officer arrived, also with a Zavala County Sheriff's deputy, as well as two additional uh, Uvalde Police Department officers were able to go into that classroom uh, with a ballistic shield as cover. And, of course, we know that one of those officers, an agent, actually was uh, was shot, uh, was grazed at the top of the head, but they were able to shoot and kill the suspect and pre- preserve any other life. We know that there was other injured children inside that classroom that they were able to save as well and get them to and get them to cover and at that point it became a recovery process a rescue operation trying to rescue the injured and also any other potential children or teachers that were inside those classrooms but don't current the best
2: practices lieutenant call for officers to disable a shooter as quickly as possible regardless of how many officers are actually on site
1: Correct. The active shooter situation. You want to stop the killing. You want to preserve life. But also, one thing that, of course, the American people need to understand is that officers are making entry into this building. Uh, they do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school.
0: Oh, well, there it is there at the end, right? Uh, Well, if they had gone in, then they could have been shot and killed. Right. Yeah, they could have been. But that's your job. You're a police officer. And those are little children inside that building. So your job is actually to put yourself in between that bad guy and the child. Even if it means you get shot and killed in the process. That's your job. Don't want to do that job. Get a different job. Go work at Walmart. I hear they're hiring. If that's not a job you're prepared to do, I mean, they're waiting around. That's why I wanted to hear the whole clip because he says there they're waiting for the ballistic shield so they can go in. You're waiting for a ballistic shield while kids are being executed? Where is your honor as a man? How can you even live with yourself? That's why I say, look, no one can know how they would react in a situation like this until you're in the situation. But I just, it, it, how would you not just have this compulsion? I mean, every fiber of your being, I would think, would be driving you into that room because I, you, how could you live with yourself afterwards? Yeah, if you don't go in, like if you go in, you might be shot and killed. But if you don't go in and you sit outside while kids are dying, you're gonna wish that you had been killed. I would rather be dead than live with that for the rest of my life. I couldn't live with it. So it's honor and courage which brings you in the door, but also in a in a in a sort of strange way. It's all it is also its own form of kind of self preservation as well on top of everything else because. Who wants to live a life like that for the rest of the year, knowing that you could have done something while these kids are being slaughtered, but you were standing outside waiting for a shield so you could go in? Oh, but but they weren't doing nothing. Uh, they were, uh, as video has has come out and shown, they were handcuffing parents and reportedly tasing at least one of them to stop the parents from going in to rescue their children. There's video, very heart wrenching video of the of par- groups of parents outside screaming at the cops go in and save my children and they weren't doing it and the parents tried to go in themselves and they would stop the parents now listen if they were already in the process of being if they were in a gunfight with this uh, with this guy and they were in the and they were already there trying to rescue the kids then i understand keeping the parents out cuz then you're just going to add to the body count you're not going to let let parents go run into the middle of that but if you're not doing anything and you're, if you're just waiting for an hour for more people to show up, then uh, then yes, I think you let at least let them, if you're not willing to do it and there are children who are being killed, then if someone else is willing to do it, you let them do it. This is, uh, it's t- just totally unconscionable. And going back to the disclaimer, there's still more details we don't know, but I, I just don't know. Given what they're telling us now, I, I, I don't know what additional detail could come out that would vindicate the officers on the scene in this case. I just don't know what we could find out that would change. I, just, I can't imagine what it could possibly be. They're telling us themselves they were there for an hour before they went in. As far as I'm concerned, that's like all we need to know. There's no excuse for that. The only excuse conceivable would be if they showed up there and he was locked in that room with those kids and he hadn't killed any and he hadn't started shooting yet. Now you're hesitant to charge you in there because it is a hostage situation and you don't want to do anything that provokes him to start killing hostages. So that I understand. Okay, in a situation like that, yes, you, you stand and you wait for negotiators and, and all that and you come up with a strategy. But uh, he had already started shooting. He was shooting before he walked in the damn door. We got a real crisis of cowardice in this culture. And all of our institutions are infested with it. Um, All of them, especially government institutions. Doesn't mean everybody in these institutions are cowards. That's certainly not the case. There are plenty of heroic police officers, no doubt about it. But I can't tell you how depressing it is. Of course, and devastating this is. This happened at all, but especially, I mean, in in uh, in Texas of all places. That you have cops in Texas, like you would like to think that in Texas of all places, they would they would just be, they would rush in there. But it's a real, it's the rot of cowardice across our institutions. Think about the teachers at, at around COVID, and again, not every teacher. But there were enough of them, too many of them. The teachers in, in, uh, during, during COVID who'd rather shut the schools down for a year, kids be damned, doesn't matter what it does to the kids, shut the schools down because I don't want to get sick. I don't want to risk myself for the sake of these kids. No courage, no honor. But here's, here's the, the real point about all this. Well, this is not. There, there are many real points, but here's another one that we have to remember. Is that um, there were multiple very simple and direct things that could have been done to, to stop this tragedy from happening, or at a minimum to uh, to, to mitigate the, the harm. You know, there are multiple simple direct things that could have done to, to, that could have been done to save lives, potentially all of the lives. Okay? Like, here's one thing, starting, starting point, lock the door to the school. The guy's got a, a rifle, It's not that's not going to keep him out forever. It's going to buy you some more time. Lock all the doors. They didn't even do that. Actually have armed security on the premises and someone who is willing to engage and who is well-trained, another thing that could have been done. Okay, many, many things could have been done. Police could have been, the police had 12 minutes to show up before the guy even got in the school. I'm just wondering, what were all the cops in the area doing that they they, they couldn't get there within 12 minutes? Like what's more important in that moment, in that small town, than a maniac walking around with a rifle, shooting? So there are lots of things that could have been done um, and we don't need to talk about gun control, gun regulations. That's got nothing to do with this. You know, Early on, we were told by the left that, oh, this was a failure. See, uh, you, said, you said that uh, all you needed is security, but there was security and it didn't work. No, there wasn't apparently. There was no form of security in that school. So here's what every school in America should have. Every single school in America should have multiple trained armed security personnel on staff. And I, and I keep emphasizing trained, like people that know what they're doing and that are willing to do it when the time comes. That last part, well, you can't really know for sure until the time comes, but if they're well-trained, you look at their backgrounds, I think you want to look especially into, into retired military, ex-military, people who have been in situations like this, who've been battle-tested, get as many of those kinds of guys as you possibly can, um, have them there. Have one door in the school That uh, is the entrance of the school and every other door is locked. And if there's an active shooter situation, you go into your lockdown drill and you actually do it. You lock all the doors. If all those things had happened, this tragedy would have been avoided. More more than likely. Here we are talking about things Congress can do. What do you need Congress to do? Lock the freaking door. Okay, we don't need Congress for that. All right, moving to this. More cowardice. This is U.S. Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardano. He was in a House Education and Labor Committee hearing yesterday, and he was um, asked about schools that assist in the gender transition of children without uh, parental consent. How does he feel about that as the Secretary of Education? And this is an official policy in lots of these schools and, in fact, an official policy of the administra- of the Biden administration itself. How does he feel about that? What does he say about it? Let's listen.
2: Do you believe that school districts should keep a child's involvement in gender transition a secret from their parents?
3: Sir, I, I would love to answer questions on the budget, which is why I'm
2: here. And I, I think what... What I'm Mr. Getting- Mr. These are policies that your administration stands behind. You're asking me to fund your budget, and these are policies that you stand for. It's completely relevant to why you're here today. It's a simple question. Answer the question, do you think the schools should keep it a secret from their parents if their children are involved in gender transition?
3: Parents listen. Parents and schools must work together to support students, and I do strongly support, and if you look through the work that we've uh, supported, and in our policies and our practices we want parents should schools to ever
2: keep that a secret from parents excuse me should schools ever keep it a secret from parents if their children are involved in gender transition schools should, should always that be partner- a secret
3: from parents schools should be partnering with parents in communication and there are times where schools uh, are working and supporting students on issues that are very sensitive uh, but i do believe that parents should be connected with schools. And in many cases, um, working together is what's going to help the student. I have spoken to students who've shared um, whatever situation is at the home that they felt safe uh, at the school. And we have to be careful not to um, try to turn this into something that it's not. Our schools are safe places for our students and our teachers are often the frontliners when it comes to supporting students uh, when they have issues uh, in, in their lives. That's a very bizarre
2: answer. Uh, Mr. S- Mr. Chairman, I yield back.
0: So that's just a really roundabout way, uh, with all of the with all the bureaucrats speak. A really roundabout way of saying, yeah, I think that that uh, we should keep this from parents. Yeah, he finally gets around to it, but this is yet another example of institutional cowardice. Now, I don't know a lot about Miguel Cardona. Uh, maybe he is himself an LGBT extremist. That wouldn't surprise me. The Biden administration is hiring a lot of those types, but that's not that's not my that's not the impression you immediately get when you listen. He he, he comes off just like your standard bureaucrat who uh, is not, he's just there because he's there and he's trying to justify his job and he likes the power and influence that he has in his position. That's the main thing that he's worried about. That's how he comes off anyway. Um, Does he actually think, does that guy right there, that dude, does he, does he really think that it's a good idea that we should be transitioning children? Does he, is he is he really into that? Does he actually think that that's good? It's Joe Biden. I mean, to the to the extent that Joe Biden thinks anything, does he think that? Well, probably not. But it's actually worse. It's worse than being an extremist. If you're an extremist, you're a true believer. Um, then at least uh, when it comes down to it, you can claim at judgment day you can claim that you were deluded and you had you just didn't you didn't know you were mistaken. I don't, I don't think that excuse is going to cut it, but you'll have that to go on. You could try that one out. But so many of the people who uh, have allowed and have facilitated these situations in our schools, they really do know better. I think they they're not really true believers, but. They allow it to happen because they don't really care. They're actually kind of indifferent to it. But well, who cares if kids are? Yeah, this is crazy. It's crazy that we're doing this to kids. Transitioning a, a child, trying to turn a boy into a crazy. But I don't care. I don't care about these kids. Like That's their mentality. It's indifference. And also cowardice. They're not going to stand up against it. And uh, But the main thing they're worried about is their own influence and power. That's all they care about. Nothing in it for them to take a stand against this. So they don't. Which I think is the is the worst. Like that's that puts you at the lowest level. That makes you the the, the, the greatest scumbag of all. Um. Kind of related to this, so the backlash against Ricky Gervais is continuing uh, because of the you know the one joke the routine he did about uh, about transgenderism in his Netflix special. The website Mary Sue is a good representative sample, says last year, Netflix faced intense controversy over Dave Chappelle's comedy special, The Closer, which included a number of transphobic jokes. There was backlash from audience, walkouts among staff, condemnation, even resignation. Now Netflix is proving that they learned exactly nothing from that ordeal. And the platform has premiered another wildly anti-trans comedy special, this one from Ricky Gervais. Uh, Gervais' special dropped today and immediately people were sharing just how horrible it is. But however awful you're expecting it to be, I don't think anyone, anything can prepare you for the level of violent bigotry Gervais put out. After just a few minutes, he starts on a tirade about trans women in rape. There's a deep obsession with trans people's genitals, and he deliberately misgenders his hypothetical trans villain throughout. So it goes on and on about how it's violent and extreme and all this kind of stuff. Now, they're dubbing the whole thing an anti-trans special, but as far as I know, I haven't watched the the, the routine yet. But as far as I know, that's the main the main part there where he talks about it. That's not it's not that's not the subject of the uh, of the entire special. But this is, of course, what the left always does is that is that uh, you know if you mention this kind of thing at all, then you're obsessed with it. Meanwhile, it's like the only thing they talk about. This is the LGBT trans like the only thing they talk about. But if you talk about it at all to disagree with them, then you're the one who's obsessed with it. I thought uh, Andrew Clavin made a brilliant point about this um, in something he tweeted. He says, here's a question. How, how come I find Ricky Gervais's anti-God atheist jokes hilarious, but transgender people find his anti-trans jokes offensive? My theory is that it's because I actually believe in God. I think that's a, that's a, a very good point. I was thinking about this too, because I was watching, there was another clip from uh, Gervais' special that was circulating and this is one. I think this is one from a Netflix account. Like this is the joke. These are the jokes that Netflix actually wants. These are the clips they want to have out there, where Gervais is doing his, uh, you know, his religion jokes because Gervais is a dyed-in-the-wool atheist, um, and he's, uh, and so he's, and he's still an atheist. That hasn't changed, right? Because it, as it turns out, it's you don't need you don't need to be you don't actually need to be religious to believe that men are men and women are women. Um, and I, I think what what Clavin points out is a good is a good point that there's this insecurity um, among the gender ideologues in general, and this is why they th- this is why there's this obsession with affirmation. They constantly need to be affirmed, and they have this uh, they have all you know these they have these words they have words that they need you to say to them. Even if they know you probably don't even believe it, they just need to hear it out of your mouth. They constructed this web for themselves, and they need everyone around them to constantly affirm them because of their deep insecurity. And at some level, just like I talked about the bureaucrats who go along with this but don't really believe it, now there's really a question as to what extent anyone really believes this. I mean, that's. I guess we can't really know for sure because we can't see inside anybody's mind. Does anyone really believe that somebody, you know, a a, a person with a vagina who's carrying a a, a child in her womb could be a man? Does anyone actually believe that? Um, I think very few people do. But there's this insecurity, and that's why it cannot. It just it cannot withstand any scrutiny, and it certainly cannot be, you can't tell jokes about it. Um, now, I will say that I often don't find the God jokes funny that atheists tell because I think often the jokes aren't really trying to be funny. They're just kind of bitter and angry and not very clever, more of a more of a speech than a joke. That's And that's most of the anti-God atheist jokes that I've heard from stand-up comedians. And you listen to it, it's like, they're not even trying to tell a joke here. They're just mad. And this is, a, this is their own little... Anti God homily. So I'm not laughing at it because I'm not even supposed to. It's not even, it's not even, there's no attempt here at wit or anything like that. Um, But I can laugh at, I can laugh at any joke if it's a good joke. Not so with the uh, gender ideologues, though. Yeah, before we get to the comments, um, you know, we have my, what I've, uh, I sort of regret dubbing my swag shack, but that's what we decided to go with over to the Daily Wire. That's my merch store at dailywire.com. And uh, we have, I mean, look, I'm biased and it's not a competition, but I do think we have hands down the best merchandise at The Daily Wire. I just do. I think our our merchandise is great because it's all very, it's all like memes and just inside jokes. That's all the merchandise is. And uh, I want to tell you about our latest thing. This is just in time for Memorial Day, which, uh, and you will see me, you will actually see this this product debuted on a a video that we're going to be coming out on Memorial Day. I'll be wearing this because I'm going to be doing a little bit of grilling. And if you're doing some grilling and you're a dad, that means that you need an apron with a little uh, snappy saying on it. Everybody knows that. And so we have this. I want to show you this. This is, uh, you need this for Memorial Day or anytime you're cooking. So you've got your apron and, uh, and you need to make sure everybody knows what your pronouns are. And it's the apron that says, my pronouns are chef and chef self. So this is just good. It's like when you're in the kitchen or you're out on the, at the grill, And you're cooking, that means in that moment, right? That's how you identify. It doesn't mean you identify as that all the time, but you wanna make sure people know that and they will respect your pronouns as chef and chef self. So go to the uh, DailyWire.com, go to the store right now, and go to my store and buy your apron right now. Let's get to the comments. Uh, Logan says, hilarious to hear Matt talking like he's some kind of badass. Would you just go charging into gunfire in that situation? Easy to Monday morning quarterback the police from where you're sitting. Yeah, I already, well, I think I covered this yesterday. It is, it's easy for me to say. That's true. Um, that's, there's a lot of things that are easy for me to say. doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, uh, like it's, it's, if somebody commits uh, medical malpractice while performing brain surgery because they're being negligent, it's it's easy for me because I'm not it's like brain surgery is difficult and I've I i do not know how to do it. So it's easy for me to sit here and say, that's bad. You should not have done that. You were supposed to fix this person's brain and said you caused even worse brain damage. That's a that's a bad thing. You're being irresponsible. It is very easy for me to say that. It's also true. And the other thing is that I have not signed up to be a brain surgeon. And so the fact that I can't perform brain surgery and that I'd be very bad at performing brain surgery, that's not a failure on my part. I never, I never agreed to do it. I never said to society, hey, you should come to me for this. I'm the guy. I'm your guy. So not an issue. Okay. And it's the same thing if you're a police officer. I mean, if you're signing up to be in these kinds of situations then that's the job you sign up for. If you don't want to do it, then go get another job. I think that's very reasonable, isn't it? Is that an unreasonable point of view? If there's a certain job that you don't want to do, don't sign up for the job. What exactly is your is your issue with that? I'm not, I'm not sure I understand. And I also understand that uh, that police officers want to go home to their families and want to preserve their own lives. Preserving your own life as a police officer, that can't be your number one priority all the time, given the job you signed up for. If you're never willing to put someone else's life ahead of your own, even the life of a a young child, then you're in the wrong line of work. Um, so that's just lazy. I mean, as much as you say it's it's easy and lazy for me, I think this this criticism from you is a lazy one. Oh, Monday, Monday morning quarterback. I'm not Monday morning. This isn't a football game, you idiot. It's not Monday morning quarterbacking. They were standing outside where kids were getting slaughtered. That's a bad thing. Um, all right, but thanks for listening. His dudeness says, not to be a conspiracy guy in the room, but how does a kid that lives with his grandmother on his 18th birthday have enough money to buy two brand new Daniel Defense ARs worth almost $5,000 ammo plus optics and body armor and a $70,000 uh, pickup and an unlocked back door? I really think those are legit questions. Are they all are all completely legitimate questions. You say this is cons- I don't, there's nothing conspiratorial about these questions. These are all good questions, and I have the same ones. Um, I don't... I, I don't, I'm not sure what conspiracy they would even point to, so I'm not sure exactly what you have in mind. But I have the same questions. There's nothing wrong with asking it. And, and here's the thing. The, the more that they are vague about this and they're not up front, the more you're going to get actual conspiracy theories. Okay, and you're already starting to see that. I mean, I, I, I'm sure if I looked you know, in, on the internet and I, when I went searching for it, you could find that there are already people who are, you know, doing the Sandy Hook thing with this, like they claim with Sandy Hook that it was all big hoax and these were crisis actors, um, which of course was completely absurd. And I don't know if that conspiracy has started with this one, but you're going to start getting stuff like that, more of it, the more vague you are. Because when you don't give people information, they start filling in the blanks themselves. Yet another reason to be upfront. Uh, RKU says There are deadbeat dads for sure But we as a society need to discuss How many fathers are kicked out of the home By the mother Because it's extremely common And we pay zero attention to it Totally agree That's why I said yesterday The problem of fatherless homes And you know uh, Single mothers and everything You know Being a single mother is not the ideal And we should be able to say that But I did say You know Just because a single mother Doesn't mean it's, it's not necessarily your fault But it could be I mean, there are plenty of single mothers out there who it's it's their fault that they're it's basically what they chose because they kicked their the husband out for no good reason, and that that happens. So I think I think both. No matter who's at fault for it, and very often both parties are somewhat at fault. The fact is that fatherless homes is a problem. So, um, Joseph says, I'm actually highly curious about statistics regarding children from motherless homes. That would be interesting, but it's a very small sample size. The, the fact is, it's just very, very rare. It's not, it's not unheard of, but it's very rare. It's probably why there aren't very many statistics for it. Um, Gary says, there's a fair bit of smugness about Matt's uh, evocation of his family life, perfect wife, kids, and home life, and the implication that much of it is because of his wisdom and good life choices. I like him a lot, but you can be a, a, as good a husband and father as you want. Doesn't mean your kids are going to listen to you or not go off the rails, or... Uh, your what seemed perfect wife won't fall out of love with you and want you gone. I'm not sure when I ever said any of that. Uh, I have a perfect family. It's because, of what have I, have I ever said that? But I have a perfect family because of my great wisdom and my great life choices. Most of the family stories that I tell, like oftentimes it involves me. You know, I'm the punchline in a lot of those stories. So I'm not exactly sure where you're getting that. And, but it, I, I don't disagree with you that you could do everything right as a parent, and your child still goes off the rails, as you say. That's one of the existential fears that you have as a parent. It's like the dread that kind of undergirds everything all the time. One of them, you know, there's a lot of dread and fear and anxiety that comes up being a parent, it's just part of the territory. Um, and one of it is just this like, sort of increasing re- realization, especially as kids get older, that they are their own person, they have their own mind, and um, you can influence them, but you can't actually directly control them. That's why people say they see kids that are freaking out or whatever and they say, oh, that kid's out of control. You need to control your kid. Well, uh, what you really mean is that that kid is not being, you need to have more influence over that kid because you really can't, the kid's not a a puppet. It's not a robot you can program. You can't directly, now the only, when a kid's young, the, the way that you can physically control them is you can pick them up and take them out of a situation, which you should do and oftentimes parents are reluctant even to do that. So there's that kind of control. But outside of that, um, no, what you really have is influence. You're trying to influence your child, and but as that as they grow older, that only goes so far. All that being said, um, you know, there's kids going off the rails. That's true, but then there's your kid becoming a mass shooter, and um, I think certainly if you're doing, if you are being a loving and attentive parent. And trying to do your best, because no one's going to be perfect, but you're trying to do your best and you're there for your kid, it is just very, very, very astronomically unlikely that they, quote, go off the rails to that extent. Which is why we can assume when you see uh, people that are behaving in that way that uh, you can just assume ahead of time and you'll almost always be right that they had a horrible home life and really bad parents. May not be right 100% of the time, but most of the time you will be. Um, Jay Stoss says, Matt was spot on when he said that people turn to the internet for companionship because they've given up on life, having relationships with other people, etc. It's basically why I do it. But the thing is, if I hadn't turned to the internet, I would have never known about Matt Walsh and the Sweet Baby Gang. There's a silver lining in everything, I guess. Well, I'm glad you found some um, sense of belonging in the show and the Sweet Baby Gang, and I appreciate that. But also, don't give up on life and human relationships, man. Don't do that. I mean, there's a whole world out there. There's an entire life to be lived. I don't know how old you are, but uh, I know that you've only encountered a small sliver of the world and of the people in it to this point in your life, no matter how old you are. It's like the tiniest little portion you've experienced. So you can't give up on something when you've seen and experienced so little of it, is my point. You got to get out there. I mean, still watch this show, but like get out there and experience life. Okay. There's, there's a lot about life that's, that's dismal, but also quite a lot of beauty and uh, joy and adventure and so on. Uh, that was my inspirational message of the year, probably. And I'll get back to being a cynical bastard. You know, films these days are mostly garbage. The only exception I can think of right now is the documentary What is a Woman, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, premieres June 1st, I think. Yes, that's what we're talking about. Whatiswoman.com. Go there, become a member so you can watch on June 1st. Aside from that, pretty slim pickings. What happened? You know, that's easy. Hollywood gave up on itself, morally bankrupt and ideologically shackled. It's most high-profile production these days consists of canceling actors and comedians for even the faintest whisper of counter-leftist sentiment. Gina Carano, for example, an actress on Disney's The Mandalorian, she uh, got expelled from the Magic Kingdom for tweeting unthinkable ideas like neighbors should be nice to each other and elections should be fair. Who would have thought? And uh, Disney didn't like it, but we loved it. That's why we're making good in our promise to uncancel Gina by starring her in our summer blockbuster movie, Terror on the Prairie, which premieres exclusively on the Daily Wire on June 14th. Set on the plains of Montana, this gritty thriller follows a family of pioneers as they defend themselves from a vicious gang of outlaws hell-bent on revenge. We're giving you a sneak peek next week when the trailer drops on June 1st, and to top it all off, the official Terror in the Prairie movie poster is in our shop right now. You can buy it at dailywire.com shop. From special guests on our podcast to unflinching films and documentaries that aren't afraid to confront the truth, everything we do at The Daily Wire is fearless, and this is our invitation for you to come and be fearless with us. Become a member at dailywire.com gina today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Now, at first blush, this may seem to be another example of stupid PC word policing, but as you'll see, that's not exactly correct. It is actually an example of extremely maniacally stupid PC word policing, Um, stupid on multiple levels and from every conceivable angle. The San Francisco Chronicle reports, the word chief will no longer be used in reference to job titles in the San Francisco Unified School District in an effort, school officials said, to avoid the word's connotation with Native Americans. In a statement to the newspaper, a spokeswoman for the district further explained, quote, while there are many opinions on the matter, our leadership team agreed that given that Native American members of our community have expressed concern over the use of the title, we are no longer going to use it. They still haven't come up with a replacement term yet, which is why if you go to the district's website, you will still find this hideous slur being used. In fact, there's a whole section list, listing the division chiefs. And there are currently 13 chiefs leading 13 tribes such as Chief Technology Officer Melissa Dodd, Chief General Counsel Daniel Hauck, and Chief of Staff Jill Hugendick. What will we call these women now? If she's not Chief Jill Hugendick, what is she? I mean, what word is safe? Leader, head, captain, master commander, overlord? These words are all problematic too. They're either too militant, too patriarchal, or they recall the troubling legacy of slavery. Maybe there should be no titles at all. Maybe Jill Hugendick is just Jill Hugendick. But then you've effectively demoted all of these women. And they are almost all women, by the way. 12 of the 13 people leading the district are women. And what's the point of virtue signaling with a leadership team comprised of women if you can't give them titles that denote their leadership? This would also uh, probably be a good time to mention the minor detail that chief is not a Native American word. Chief is an English word, which comes from French, which comes from Latin. Uh, The French word is chef, meaning head or ruler or somebody in authority. I'm not sure how we got from there to chef as in the guy with a funny hat in the kitchen. My etymological knowledge in this area has already been exhausted. But what I can say for absolute certain is that chief has been in usage since the 1300s and wasn't applied to Native Americans until sometime in the 1700s. English settlers had good reason to use English words to describe Native Americans. Namely, the reason is that they, uh, they spoke English and people generally use words in the language they speak as opposed to languages they don't speak. So the premise here is false. And that's enough to explain why this whole thing is very stupid. But as I said, this is not just stupid. It's extremely maniacally stupid. And to understand why. consider that Consider what they're actually trying to do. If chief was a Native American word, which it isn't, but if it was, then they would be erasing Native American influence on the English language. They aren't doing that in this case because the premise is false, but they're trying to. Ostensibly, for the sake of Native Americans and supposedly at the behest of Native Americans, they are, they think, erasing Native American representation in the English language. They believe this is an example of Native American language being adopted by English speaking people, and their goal is to undo that influence? See, the left always complains about minorities being allegedly erased and marginalized, and yet that's exactly what they're trying to do here, again. When it comes to Native Americans specifically, the left has adopted sort of this addition by subtraction strategy. While claiming that they want Native Americans to be represented, all they have ever done for years is just erase every mention or depiction or reference or supposed reference to Native Americans that they can find. All of the Indian mascots and team names are being changed. Every nod to Indian culture is being rooted out and canceled. Most recently, a school in Indiana came under intense scrutiny for a halftime ceremony involving students dressed in traditional Indian attire. The school had been doing that for many years. It was supposed to be an homage to Indian culture and history. But it was deemed racist somehow for reasons that are never made clear. All of these sorts of things have been, as the left says, problematized. They've even snuffed out Native American depictions that were made by Native Americans. The Lando Lakes Butter Girl, famously canceled a couple of years ago, was partially the work of a Native American artist. And they got rid of that too. Indeed, in a culture obsessed with representation, there's no question that Native Americans are represented far less than they used to be. I mean, you used to find references to them everywhere in many areas of life, even in children's games back in the dark ages of the 90s, as recently as then. Kids would would play, you know, cowboys and Indians. They were part of your games. They were just part of the culture. They were part of the language. It was just like, uh, there there was a certain presence there. And all of that is gone now. The representation bean counters have seen to it that Indian culture and people are represented far less than they used to be. And the thing is, to me, this is quite sad because I actually find Native American history to be remarkable and important. One of my favorite books of all time is Empire of the Summer Moon about the Comanches. Whenever I'm traveling with my family, if there's a Native American museum nearby, we always visit it. We go to Native American festivals and art exhibits. My kids currently have a teepee set up in, their gar- in my garage. My son likes to run around the yard with a spear that he made out of a stick and a sharp rock. Now, this all would be considered cultural appropriation these days, I suppose. You can call it that if you want to. I don't really care. But the history is fascinating. And um, it's even more fascinating that I, as I'm told, a racist, right-wing, white supremacist, ethnocentric bigot, have more interest in and respect for that history than the culturally sensitive leftists do. But it's actually not that surprising when you think about it. Of course they want to erase Native American history. They want to erase all history. There's a reason they haven't replaced most of the monuments and statues they've torn down. And when they do replace them, they're likely to to put in its place a monument to some unremarkable person who died a few years ago like George Floyd. They are not principally interested in rewriting history or giving their own version of it. They do have their own version. That's the 1619 Project. But really, history itself is an inconvenient reality to a leftist. They would rather erase the whole thing. There's too much in history, especially Native American history, but really all history, the whole history of the human race, that's troublesome to the left and incongruent with their claims and their narratives. So they just don't want to talk about it at all. Their priority is to sever all people from their history, from history itself, and have us all live as though the world itself came into being at the turn of this current millennium. They don't want any of us to be rooted too deeply or too connected with our ancestors or too in touch with our past. Because what they want are blank slates, nondescript automatons that they can mold and shape as they see fit. That's what this is all about. And it's why, bringing us back to the beginning, the San Francisco Unified School District is canceled. And we'll leave it there for today and the week. Have a great weekend. Talk to you on uh, Tuesday. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including the Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, the Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina, and hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart.